Welcome to the San Diego News Fix. I'm Christy Totten. The November 8th general election is nearing, and today the News Fix will begin running election coverage. Over the next month, you'll hear from political candidates in top races. You'll also hear from groups representing the pros and cons of each ballot proposal. California Proposition 28 is unique on the ballot in that it doesn't have an opposing side. The prop would require the state to set aside money for arts and music education, and it's expected to generate up to $1 billion per year with an emphasis on lower income schools. Austin Butner is behind the initiative. He's the former superintendent of the Los Angeles Unified School District and was also a former publisher and CEO of the Los Angeles Times and the San Diego Union Tribune. Butner and his colleagues met with the UT editorial board on August 25th. Here's an excerpt from that conversation. You'll hear from Butner as well as editorial board members Matthew T. Hall, Laura Castaneda, and Chris Reed. Uh, well, good. Good morning. Thank you all. Um, uh, and as a former uh, colleague, uh, it's good to be back in San Diego, at least uh, virtually. Uh, let me do a quick introduction. So the three of us on the call, uh, myself, uh, uh, I guess uh, my title here is I'm the proponent of the initiative. Uh, I see Brad Williams. Uh, Brad Williams, uh, I think, is probably the person most steeped in the state of California on school funding, uh, having worked uh, in the uh, uh, legislative analyst office, the nonpartisan office, uh, including more than a decade as chief economist. So he's probably our technical expert in how money uh, gets from taxpayers to schools in the state of California. And Brian Casitas, a professor at the Truman School, University of Missouri, uh, where he directs a program in arts, humanities, and civic engagement research, together with the National Endowment for the Arts. Uh, in particular, as far as this topic goes, he was one of the authors of what I think is a seminal report on this topic uh, by the American Academy of Arts and Sciences, uh, actually published last fall called Arts for Life's Sake. Uh, and we may refer to that and uh, uh, both Brian and Brad can answer questions. Uh, and I think there's nobody better than Brian to make the case of why art's an essential part of a good public education. Um, rather than spend all this time talking, because I know you've got a bunch of questions, let me just give you a two to three minute overview and then we can dive right in. Uh, Matt, and take this in any direction, all of you feel helpful. Uh, art is an essential part of good education. Uh, and I think if we're having a debate about that, we should probably cover that one before we get to the rest. But let's posit that to have a foundation in literacy, math, and critical thinking, one needs exposure, participation in arts and arts education. When I say arts and music, I'm referring to the whole suite of creative expression from uh, song and dance and theater to animation, um, uh, art and music and everything in between. Uh, and I think research would show higher attendance, better engagement, uh, more social emotional support for children uh, and uh, support for critical thinking skills and creative expression, which is uh, so vital today for a child to have a chance in the modern economy. Uh, drawing on my experience as superintendent, I'd visit lots and lots of schools, ask what I could do. I never saw my job as head teacher, head principal, but rather to make sure schools had what they needed. And invariably, when asked amongst the top three would be more arts and music. Uh, but unfortunately, due to lack of adequacy of funding, uh, that wasn't possible. So it became an awful conversation about, yes, more music, but that means less of insert one of math. English, lunch, PE, something else, which is also a vital part of a public education. Uh, and if I share two numbers, which I think are, are important to keep in mind about this conversation, 
1819, so the last year of school funding before all the federal influx of dollars and a little bit of the COVID dissonance. Uh, New York schools were funded about $30,000 a year. Uh, Los Angeles and San Diego would be true as well, about 17. Uh, and you would have seen one in five, barely one in five public schools in the state of California with a full-time arts or music program. Uh, New York, you'd see almost four in five. Um, adequacy of funding leads directly ultimately to the product that can be offered to students. Uh, and we think offering arts and music education is a vital part of good education. Now, the way we've gone about this is to take existing state dollars, no new taxes, uh, an amount equal to 1% of the $98, but not from the $98. Uh, so in this context, it's roughly a billion dollars. Uh, if the state budget goes up or down, that number goes up and down with it. It is allocated to schools based on where children are. So every school will get some funding per child uh, and twice that amount in a school serving a high needs student uh, defined as a child living in uh, poverty, below the poverty line, Title I eligibility is the simple term used. Uh, schools get to decide. As a former superintendent, the last thing I wanted to see was the central office bureaucracy turn the dollars somewhere else. So schools get to decide. And we built in a very interesting approach to transparency and accountability. So in addition to the audits, which would be uh, required for any uh, state funding and education, each school has to publish every year a report which answers three questions. What was the money used for? How is that aligned with state standards? And what impact did it have on kids? Uh, so this will quickly become the most transparent part of any school budget. Because if you were asking me today, how much does a particular school spend on math or English? They wouldn't be able to tell you, nor would they be able to tell you what the impact is. In this particular instance, uh, they will have to do that. They'll have to share it publicly. And I ultimately think that's how we raise standards and offer students the best possible education because we're relying on families and their agency at a school. Families have very little agency in big school districts, some central office and elected school boards and all that. But they have got a lot of agency and a lot of care in their own school. That's where their child is. So if we can show them uh, a fantastic program at Brad Williams Elementary School um, and down the street at Brian Casita, it's not so good. Uh, the families at Brian Casita are gonna see the good things happening at Brad Williams and they'll wanna change to that. So this. Uh, sort of radical transparency approach to how public education funding, we hope uh, not only makes a difference in arts and music, but spills over to the rest of education funding. Um, we built a coalition. The coalition uh, has the support of people who are in schools, the students, families, and their educators, the support of community organizations like the Urban League, California Community Foundation, uh, arts organizations up and down the state, uh, labor who work in schools, labor who work in the entertainment industry, uh, entertainers themselves. Um, and uh, we're very fortunate when you open your voter guide, you will see the arguments for uh, this initiative and the other side of the page will be blank, but for the statement which says no argument was submitted in opposition. Uh, and each of you are probably uh, a better historian on this topic than I, but I can't recall the last a state ballot initiative that there literally was no group or individual opposed to it. So we're, we're very proud of where we are. We've got a wonderful coalition. We appreciate your taking the time with us. And uh, as I mentioned, Brad and Brian uh, can answer questions. Uh, we can elaborate on any aspect of this, but I want to turn it back to you, Matt, give you all a chance to have your questions and any issues you have answered. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate the brief overview uh, and the um, material that, that your, your team uh, sent over uh, prior to this meeting. 
I'm just going to cut right to it. No, no one supports the arts. I mean, let me rephrase that because I, I hate elevating myself. If anyone supports the arts on this call, it's me. I got my oldest high school daughter who's looking at musical theater programs. My youngest is going to be a freshman this year. Her elective is art. They're both ballet dancers. They've been doing the arts, loving the arts, been part of an arts family since they were um, born. Ballot box budgeting is really problematic to me. Where do you draw the line is only one of the questions that I have. Um, so make the case for me, sure. an arts parent, why this should be something that Californians embrace because to me, it's problematic to say this part of the budget should go here because someone else is going to come along and say, you know what? We need that for chemistry. We need that for athletics. We need that for X, Y, and Z. And all of a sudden, the, the, what teachers will tell you is limited state funding. What others might say is excessive state funding or money that could be spent in many ways, certainly monitored in better ways. But setting that aside for a second, why should ballot box budgeting be something that Californians um, think is a good sure. idea? Sure. You mentioned two points for the adequacy of funding and ballot box budgeting, because you inferred the second, the adequacy of funding. I want to come back to that one. So ballot box budgeting, uh, I, in theory, I don't, I can't quarrel with your argument. Um, that's theory, though. In practice, let's look at how the budget is allocated as it is. Uh, organizations who have high-priced lobbyists who spend tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars a year on a particular issue, that issue gets funded. That, that's how it works. That's how Sacramento works today. Uh, and unfortunately, families with children in public schools lack that same agency. The, uh, I mentioned 61% uh, of children in public schools in the state of California uh, live below the poverty line, their families do. 77% of those students are black and Latino. They don't have a union. They don't have lobbyists. They don't have that same agency. So uh, in theory, Matt, you're right. Uh, if uh, democracy in Sacramento and a legislative body had open and transparent deliberations on where all of the money went in the budget, not just school money, where all of the money went in the budget, uh, I take your point, but that's not how it works. The school funding today is Prop 98, which gets to adequacy. Prop 98 was intended as a floor, but in practice, it's become a ceiling. Only one year in the last 20 had the state legislature funded more than the minimum. Uh, that was in response to uh, the uh, crash, uh, stock market crash of the 01 crash, not 08, 09. Uh, and so you say what, what has become, was intended as a floor, has become a ceiling, uh, and that's not adequate. If Los Angeles or San Diego schools are receiving $17,000 a year in New York, 30. And let's pause it for a moment that both, all three are relatively high cost places to live. Los Angeles, San Diego, New York, paid fairly and appropriately. Uh, teachers cost, school staff cost what they cost. So they're receiving a benefit. All those have been uh, effectively endorsed or approved by voters in the state of California. So the costs are people. If the costs are the same, 17 doesn't get you what 30 does. Uh, if Prop 98 uh, was 43% or 41.5%, maybe we'd be having a different conversation. Uh, but uh, I don't think uh, somewhere in the Ten Commandments it says 40% of a number, whatever that number is, is an adequate amount. So you're, you're dealing with two things, I think. The first is uh, from 
a ballot box budging standpoint, good in theory and practice, that's not how it works. And so why are we assuming children in need should bear the brunt end of the stick to say, well, you know what, uh, let the legislature figure that out. If, if they don't give it to you, too bad. We'll look at everything else that's been funded in this year's state budget and go, is that a higher priority than kids? I don't think so. And so unfortunately, the arts and music have been the first to be cut and never restored. Uh, and despite uh, vocal advocacy, uh, families don't have enough agency in Sacramento. It's just the sad truth of how our system works. Uh, do I hope we uh, enter uh, uh, the Wild West where everything goes to the ballot for every marginal dollar in the state budget? No, I don't think so. But I think this is one of those real priorities that should be addressed in this fashion, in my view. Um, We're having this discussion as the state coffers are flush, historic surpluses, and uh, but, but a month later, they're already saying, well, maybe those revenue estimates were, were incorrect. So I guess what, since we're talking about taking money from the general fund, what happens if, and we've already seen, there used to be 6 million public school students in the state of California. Now there are less than that. There used to be 130,000 public school students in San Diego Unified. Now there are 95,000. You probably know better than anyone the, the, what LA Unified, uh, the trend is there. But so we're, if we're taking money from the general fund at a time when public education as an ecosystem is shrinking, I would say rapidly, what and baby boomers at the same time are growing tremendously. What if we need more money for seniors or for mental health or for law enforcement? We're taking money from one to pay the other, right? It's the classic robbing Peter to pay Paul. Well, see, that's, I think, where we're, you're, you're assuming there's not adequate funding in the budget or that the every other dollar in the budget uh, is spent um, uh, with perfect clarity uh, and perfect effectiveness. Uh, I don't believe that is actually the case. This money will fluctuate with the scale of the budget like Prop 98 does. So if the budget were to go down, this, this amount would go down. Uh, but I think we could all come up with a long list of areas where the state has spent money, perhaps not to the greatest effect uh, or most cost effectively. I'm familiar with uh, COVID testing in schools, for instance. Um, and I know what Los Angeles Unified paid for a COVID test, $10 PCR. Uh, and I know because it's been made public uh, what the state of California paid for COVID tests, $104. Now, I also know that Los Angeles Unified provided almost 20 million COVID tests to its students during the course of the pandemic. So do the math, $94 difference times 20 million. That's a lot of money. Uh, so I, I think directionally, Matt, you and I would, would say a lot of the same things. But I don't believe every dollar in the state's budget uh, is accounted for, and it is the last is properly accounted for, and, and it's uh, spent as efficiently, as cost-effective as it could. So I take it back to the choice to say, who wants to tell the children that they don't get what they should need and deserve because the state paid $104 instead of $10 for a COVID test? Or and, and, and. We could all insert whatever our view might be of uh, different aspects of state funding. But because the children don't have agency, uh, they're not in this room. They're not in Sacramento. The state went ahead and paid the $104. Well, uh, I wish that decision could be looked at again, perhaps. Again, I'm not familiar with why the state did what they did. Let's assume it was with good reason. Um, but in that place where some future scenario and monies are tighter, uh, my hope is the state uh, tightens spending across the board, as it would this. This amount will go down. And my hope is other parts of the state budget as well are looked at with that same sharp pencil but we can't always leave the kids behind. 
because I don't see a different answer to provide arts and music for kids in schools. So if the outcome is, well, we don't like ballot box budgeting, so we're gonna leave it at one in five, or we're worried about some future scenario where um, uh, the money is tight at the state level, so we're gonna leave it at one in five. Well, if you believe like I do that this is essential, so what we're saying is theory and hypothetical mean actual harm to kids today because the four and five who can't participate, uh, their life is different. Uh, and I would say uh, harmed by their inability to participate. So I say, let's solve the problem that we can. It may be a blunt instrument to solve the problem, not perfect, but it's the only instrument available to us. Uh, and I don't think we should leave this conversation or any conversation about it to say theory or hypothetical Trump the actual fact that barely one in five kids have arts and music, have an arts and full-time arts and music program in their school. That's not acceptable. And so if there's a different solution for or you. Pattern, I'd be the I first have a question to for you. I'm sorry. Um, I said, I have a question for you. I am also a parent um, with children in arts programs. So I'm a big fan of them. And I uh, appreciate a lot of what you just said, but I was also an athlete when I was in high school. Um, and I know that there's so many uh, great programs um, in the state, but they don't have the money. They don't have money for uniforms. They don't, you know, they play on fields where there's no grass, all kinds of issues. So what do you say to the parents and the voters out there who might say, yeah, you know, this is an important program and we should be funding this, but what about the other programs that are also deficient and don't have the support they need? They should be funded too. I'm not opposed to that, but, but I don't only, think I don't think I don't think a good answer to them is, but 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 I don't think a good answer to let's say you think sports are underfunded. I would agree with you, but I don't think an answer to sports are underfunded is you know what we're going to keep arts underfunded too, and therefore uh, that's somehow equity or that's equality. It's not. Uh, so I believe this is a path to get to a better place and an appropriate place for arts and music. Be delighted to come back and have a conversation about how we get to the right place for sports as well. Uh, but keeping them both underfunded is not a solution for kids. Yet in 2020, voters rejected a huge tax hike to increase funding for schools and didn't buy the arguments that, that schools were underfunded. So that's got to be part of this equation. Money's fungible, you know. And so when I see your ballot argument, and you have obviously a powerful case for the value of arts education, and you say that there are strict protections against the money being diverted. The same arguments were made about LCFF in 2013, and they were promptly destroyed two years later by Tom Torlitz and the superintendent of public education, who essentially said the money could be spent for anything that had a tangential relationship to helping uh, kids in need. And so when I see this thing that says 80% of funds must go to hiring teachers and aides, are there teachers and aides who exclusively work on music programs? Also, when I see these things that says the funding can also help with staff training, that's so open-ended. So I think you guys have a, a powerful case on the merits, but given the history of California, I'm, I'm surprised at the uh, stridency with which you make the claim that these protections are real. Where in history of California is the proof that such claims are true? Uh, well, I, I can't speak to LCFF, Chris, but we've particularly wrote the language we did to be stronger than LCFF. The 80% goes to arts, it, it, teachers and teachers aid in arts and music, not in math, not in cafeteria, not other things, arts and music. It's very explicit, the language is that. The other funds for training, for program partners from the outside, it is very clear, and Brad can speak to this, but uh, the money can only be spent on arts and music. No more than 1% can be spent on administrative costs, 
to be overseen by a district that is much, much tighter language than LCFM. So this is arts and music and arts and music alone, which is why we wrote it that way. Um, I'm quite familiar with um, uh, perhaps the lack of transparency and accountability in other school funding. This will be the singular most in, uh, transparent and accountable piece of school funding that exists uh, when voters approve it, hopefully uh, November 8th. But ACLU of Southern California has consistently argued in its court filings challenging decisions, including of the district you used to run, that uh, the law matters almost nothing to the bureaucrats who are doing these things. They are confident that there's a lack of oversight and accountability, that they can get away with many, many things. Here in San Diego Unified, it was diverted from the student loan program to other programs, despite explicit federal laws. So I, I just, I question the premise that even if the, the protections are strong, that you can overcome the momentum of an establishment that says it's our money, we'll do with it what we want. Well, you know, again, we, we enter this with good faith, with, uh, I think, uh, wise counsel and very clear language. Uh, but I don't believe, again, the, the, the conclusion your argument would reach is, we're gonna we're okay. One in five schools having arts and music is sufficient. That's adequate. I don't think it is. So if there's a different conversation you or others wish to have, which is how do we make the Prop 98 portion of funding more accountable, more transparent, more consistent with law, whatever the law was enacted either in LCFF or otherwise? That's a wonderful conversation. Be delighted to be part of that conversation. But that's not this conversation. This conversation is a particular amount of funds for arts and music, only for arts and music, very clear language, very accountable language, very transparent. And we're putting that, that transparency in the hands of school families. And I ultimately think that's the path to school reform because every family I've ever met is very, very interested in the school in which their child, at which their child attends, but their agency goes away very, very quickly as schools become school districts and school districts become bigger. Uh, that's where power players have the agency, not families. So we're putting this, this accountability in the hands of families, and I think that's going to lead to a much better outcome. <laughs>